0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at developments in pharmacy over the past week. I'm Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News. Richard Thomas is away, but if you're a fan of the Welsh Maestro, don't switch off, because we'll be hearing from him later in our interview slot. Richard caught up with the Chief Executive of Community Pharmacy Scotland, Harry McQuillan, a few days ago, and we have a few excerpts from a wide-ranging conversation shortly. Well, things are ramping up in the COVID vaccination stakes, and a number of pharmacy-based and pharmacy-led hubs are coming on stream this week, and what seems like many more are in the pipeline, so I'm expecting that to feature in our discussions. So, Neil, let's start with you. Who's
1: your pick for a good week? Yeah, afternoon, Rob. Afternoon everyone, yeah. um... My good week goes to Ashburton Prescribing Consultants. Um, well, they might not be a household name, but they certainly should be this week because um, what? Well, let's just give a bit of context. Uh, what, what they uh, what they are is they have a, they're a company that provide pharmacists or pharmacist services to GP practices, and they've been heavily involved in the COVID vaccination rollout across Liverpool and Cheshire. Um, now they have a team of 30 pharmacists working in GP surgeries in the, nor- in the northwest of England, um, and they've been helping primary care networks in that region roll out the vaccines. Um, some brilliant stuff been going on. I spoke to Daniel Reed, who's the operations manager at Ashburton Prescribing, uh, and he told me that at present they've got up to 10 of their pharmacist teams working on the vaccine clinics at, at any one time um they don't get paid a fee per vaccine they paid they paid an hourly rate for the pharmacist's time which is funded uh for the, the primary care networks under what's known as the additional roles reimbursement scheme from nhs england there's a lot of hours going into this as you would expect um and a lot of quite you know quite emotive stuff that struck me as well so mr reed uh, wrote a blog i don't, don't know if uh, our listeners have, have seen the blog uh, a lot uh, some really good stuff in there and he said that um he he where they actually worked was at a Parkview Medical Centre in Liverpool. which is where they helped to deliver some of the vaccinations. And he worked there for three days uh, he, um, at that medical centre. And he said nearly 1,500 patients over those three days received their first dose of the vaccine, which is, which is a pretty good, uh, pretty good going. Um, and he also revealed the extent to the, of the hard work that went into ensuring patients were vaccinated. And this is what he said. He said this is this is what he said in his blog. He said that some staff had been at the practice for over 12 hours by the time their day had finished, um, promising themselves a glass or two of wine when they finally got home, and and well deserved. That's me saying well deserved. He didn't write that, but absolutely. Um, And um, knowing that just a short sleep lay ahead before they would wake up and start the whole process again at 7 a.m. the following morning, for a hardy few, they worked over 48 hours in the space of four days to ensure that the clinics went ahead. So. A lot of hours going in as you, as you would expect uh, some extremely hard work going in brilliant stuff um, and even and importantly what he did also add to that was that the vast majority of patients who were who, who he spoke to were extremely grateful for the opportunity to have the vaccine and express their gratitude to the staff which is also important given all this you know, awful stuff with anti-vaxxers and, and all this uh, disinformation out there. They were extremely grateful to receive the vaccine. So some great stuff. Um My, my good wit goes to Ashburton Prescribing Consultants.
0: Yeah, thanks, Neil. I think it's really important, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I'm certainly c- catching up with uh, some uh, some colleagues up in the northwest in particular who have got some uh, uh, hubs that they are running on behalf of the NHS uh, starting this week and also. In the next couple of weeks, and I think um, across the country we're seeing examples of uh, these things starting, and also some in pharmacy, uh, in pharmacy programs. Uh, so I'm sure we're all going to be uh, taking um, some taking the temperature of those as they go on, and it's really great news, isn't it, uh, that this is happening? And I guess whether you take the view that this was always going to happen, and it was a time timetabling thing, or a direct consequence of the representations made by the sector and the pressure applied in the national media, particular over. the last few weeks is up to you. But what's important, I think, for all of us is the fact that the NHS vaccination programme as a whole seems to be uh, building up really, really rapidly. Got a real head of steam now. And uh, the numbers the uh, people who've had their first vaccination are growing, growing rapidly. Right. Helena, who's had a good week for you?
2: Um, so I'm going to go slightly off piste with my good week suggestion. I think the obvious things to go for are um, vaccine related Um, but the person that I think has had a good week is the MP Alex Davies-Jones. So we don't often talk positively about MPs on this podcast but I think this time it's hugely warranted. Um, So this week is Cervical Cancer Prevention Week um, and Alex Davies-Jones, a Labour MP in South Wales, um, gave a very frank interview with the BBC about her experiences of putting off her smear test. Um, She was later found to have abnormal cells, and it resulted in her having an operation to remove most of her cervix. Um, She might not be the most well-known of political figures, but um, I think her job gives her a prominent platform, and I think that her decision to use this to promote the importance of cervical screening and encourage women to make and attend their appointments is is really admirable. Um, I've seen so much other content online and on the news really pushing the cervical cancer prevention messages this week. Um, And Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust, one of the key charities in this area, has done incredibly well um, to get their messages out there during such difficult times. Um, I think recently, well, like over the last year, really, um, public health campaigns have been overlooked in some ways, um, other than the Public Health England ones about the virus. Um, And I think that's a real shame. Uh, health emergencies and health problems in general don't go away just because there's a pandemic as we all know Um, and in fact the pandemic has caused so many issues in terms of people being fearful of attending routine screening appointments uh, for things like cervical cancer, breast cancer and bowel cancers as well Um, and they're just so so important Um, ultimately they can save lives. Um, So I hope that Pharmacy teams are kind of keeping an eye out on what's coming up in terms of awareness campaigns and thinking about which ones could benefit their communities based on local demographics um, and then really stick to promoting them over the next few months as much as is possible. Um, And also saying that it doesn't just have to be promoting these public health campaign messages. There's such an important role for pharmacies to also let people know that the NHS is safe and open for life-saving care in general. Um, Another story that caught my attention in the news this week, more of a bad week example this time, but it links into this, um, was some research that shows that as with the first wave of the pandemic, there's been a sharp drop in hospital admissions for heart attacks and heart failure um, during this lockdown and also in November. Um, Between March and October last year, almost 5,000 more people died from heart problems in England than would be expected. Um, And that figure is likely to be quite high for the next period as well. Um, So this shows, I think, there's yet another crucial role for pharmacy on the front line of the pandemic to encourage people who are worried about symptoms or showing red flag signs um, to get checked out.
0: Yeah, that's a really good uh, reminder about the importance of not putting off screening tests and things like that when you when you get a note to say that you should have one, isn't it? And uh, if anybody wants to follow up on, on that whole campaign, then. Uh, Helena mentioned uh, Joe's Trust, and you can uh, reach them at uh, www.joestrust.org.uk and hear a little bit more about that, uh, that particular campaign. So, Arthur, um, how about you for a good week?
3: Yeah, well, I'll just firstly just pick up on what Helena said. Um, it's obviously very important that people, um, whatever their health condition they're worried about, do get checked out and there's um, signs of a, a, a hypertension detection pilot in pharmacies in Chesterfield, Dudley, and West Birmingham, and which, which could become a contractual pharmacy service. So that could be a, a useful avenue for people to, to get those concerns um, uh, addressed. Um, my good week, I think it's a good week for UK pharmacy teams and in particular pharmacy support staff, because this week nominations open for the recognition of excellence awards 2021. Uh, it's a great event in the calendar every year. It's uh, the only uh, UK awards for pharmacy support staff, and um, it's a, gr- a great. It's a it's a real sort of feel good event. Like it gets sort of you know good coverage in local newspapers. It's a way to sort of highlight people whose contributions uh, often don't get don't go highlighted. So um, and I understand there's a new category this year for pharmacy teams to highlight that. I think because because the awards traditionally have each been for for individuals but there's a new category for teams to recognize you know the joint effort that people are making particularly in a time like this um helena is the obviously the editor of trading matters which um c- runs and coordinates the event uh, helena have you got any sort of words of in, words of encouragement for anyone who's considering applying
2: yeah definitely um thank you for for highlighting the awards arthur um yeah as as you say there's there's so many great examples um of of support staff and pharmacy teams going above and beyond their kind of normal remit um especially over the last year um and yeah we're hearing some incredible stories and that's what the ROE awards are all about it's about recognising and celebrating that amazing work. So yeah, I would definitely encourage um, pharmacists to nominate individuals in their team or their whole team or or both of those um, and for pharmacy staff to enter themselves and, and nominate their colleagues as well so that we can really get a really amazing um, uh, kind of story going and, and really shout about what pharmacy is achieving
3: very good and i understand that we're hoping to have a a, a physical in person event in september but sort of we'll see how um, we'll see what the conditions are like as, as as things progress absolutely
2: yeah absolutely it's um it's always been our um our aim to hold um a, a live awards event again um the the event itself is always such an amazing amazing time um and we get loads of good feedback about it so yeah it was a shame we couldn't do it last year i think what we did to um celebrate with the finalists was um was really really good but it would be nice to have um that live event if the government will allow us so yes we're tentatively planning um an event for september so we'll see how it goes
0: yeah here here for that i think uh, i think there are a number of events in the normal the normal calendar that we'd all like to. Uh to get back to at some point in 2021 so that's a, a very good point uh right um good week for me now at the risk of sort of overkill and the thing i have to pick out i think really is uh community pharmacy scotland's and the scottish government's announcement of a, of a paid for delivery service at least for the next couple of months so cps and the scottish government have agreed a scheme worth up to five million pounds to um compensate uh, pharmacies for providing uh, delivery services to up to uh, and anticipate up to one point five million people in Scotland deemed to be at high risk uh, during the, the the continuing pandemic. Um, particularly nice, I think, to see the scheme announced by Scotland's first minister in her daily briefing on January the eighteenth. Uh, but important, really, because even though CPS will admit that a lot of these people, who a lot of the people who are at high risk and are uh, shielding, are probably getting deliveries from their um, their community pharmacist community pharmacy at the moment to have that that very vital service enshrined in a in an actual service provided by pharmacies and being paid for is, a, is an important step forward i think for the sector as a whole and the total package is some getting on for nearly 7 million to 6.8 million because there's a set up payment as well for community pharmacies to get themselves uh, ready and recognising the workload involved with on electronic claiming. So so well done to Community Pharmacy Scotland.
1: Uh, Neil, I think you want to add something on this one. Yeah, no, absolutely, I totally agree with that, Robin. I think it's just another example, yet another example of, of Scotland doing it better than England uh, when it comes to community pharmacy. And, and, and it's a long list of, of examples of, of, of uh, you know, north of the border um, that particular country doing things better and and you'd think at some stage perhaps um, the Department of Health and Social Care and this government um, would actually take a bit of a, a, no, a, a leaf out of um, uh, uh, Scotland's book and, and and maybe you know learn a few lessons but uh, i like, not holding my breath.
0: Yeah these examples are really important aren't they? Uh, you know there's the, just another case where Uh, an agreement has been made and a a vital service has been recognized and I think that's all kind of grist to the mill really adds to the it adds potentially to the to the opportunity to have a conversation because you can point at live examples of things that are being done so yeah that's a that's a that's a very helpful I think point to to raise there and yes I think we're all we're all kind of waiting and hoping that things might be slightly different (laughs) So thank you all for those thoughts. Uh, We'll be back with bad week shortly, but first let's take a break to hear a little of Richard's conversation with Harry McQuillan. Now, regular listeners to the pod will know that we've all got a bit of a soft spot for Community Pharmacy Scotland, as just witnessed with my good week there. Uh, As a result, the way they've demonstrated consistent leadership over the time that we've been doing these podcasts. Now, this is number 40 for those who are keeping score. Now, in this selection, we're going to hear now Richard and Harry discuss how community pharmacy has stepped up for patients and the public in Scotland and the very latest on vaccinations. They also touch on the question that perplexes us most and that Neil's just raised, really. What's the secret to a constructive relationship with the government? So here we go with Richard and Harry.
4: So thank you, Harry, for joining us on the pod. Let's start with Covid. How's the pharmacy network in Scotland
5: coping? I think it's certainly at the minute it's coping well, Richard, and it's still busy. You know, we've got this aspect of with the initial onslaught in March of March and April of last year. It's remained busy, and as you're aware, across the country, remained accessible. And with that, that I think, understandably, is now bringing a bit of fatigue. So there's how do we get out of this? The vaccination, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a a little while, sees some light at the end of the tunnel. But there's there's no doubt it's still busy out there. Uh, And maybe i give some people some semblance of comfort with that. The one thing the public and the patients have really responded to community pharmacy, certainly from a, a Scottish perspective. And that's kept the teams going. So... Yeah, it's. Uh, I have to say, the first minister I thought up here put it very well the other week when she said everyone's scunnered, which if we don't use that phrase across the country, just means we're fed up with us. But uh, and and it's it's true. But I still think they're managing to do a, just a tremendous job for us, Richard, and for the people across the country.
4: I must use that phrase. That's a great phrase. Um, <laughs> Harry, let's let's talk about vaccinations first then um, are pharmacy teams being vaccinated as priority health workers in Scotland yes
5: they are Richard we did some work with the mobilisation recovery group that's set up by the cabinet secretary for health in Scotland and made, made sure that the pharmacy teams are included as level one healthcare professionals and receive their vaccinations that has started Would I say that all our teams are vaccinated no we're not And I have to say, I could also, again, understand the frustration of some of our network, where they see others, would we say, who's maybe not been quite as frontline as our teams have been being administered or receiving their vaccine before they were. But the one thing I've been trying to reassure the network, we're definitely included in the early stages of that vaccination programme, and as vaccine becomes available because with a lot of that, we're using the Pfizer vaccine for that in Scotland. So it's, as you know, all the logistics issues that goes with it, but it's getting that out to the health boards to then administer to primary care teams and the pharmacy colleagues. And our teams are fully involved, they're certainly included in it. And uh, we have roots if we find that that's not happening, we can feed feedback the Scottish government who can do a bit of investigative work on behalf of the teams for that basis, Richard. So yeah, involved in that.
4: Yeah, that's good to know. Um... Now, what about administering COVID jobs? I mean, there's been a lot of media attention in England about the role of, of the network in, in administering jobs. And we saw the first Fancy Hubs go live last week and, and more coming on stream um, from today, actually, Monday uh, the 18th. But what, what's the situation in, in Scotland in terms of administering jobs via the network?
5: We're taking, uh, well, I wouldn't say a, a different approach. We're taking maybe a more, would I say, controlled approach, Richard? In, the, in these very early stages, the rate limiting step isn't the number of vaccinators, it's the amount of vaccine. And therefore, to assist with the logistics of that, the, if the network was involved at this time, the actual logistics of getting that vaccine out to everybody becomes more complex and therefore puts pressure on where things go. If we don't want to minimise the amount of wastage that could happen with a multi-dose vaccine if we don't get it right, then actually by design, I think I said that in the video earlier last week, that the network at this very early stage isn't involved. And we've taken the view that our role at this stage in the vaccination programme is keeping people well at home, making sure their medicine supply is well managed, that keeps their normal conditions or their long-term conditions stable and therefore keeping the patient out of hospital. Now, when the vaccine becomes much more readily available in greater quantities, then we can see a role for the network to assist as the amount of the population going through the JCVI categories comes on board. Then, yes, there'll be a role for the network. It's being able to plug in it for us at the right time to maximise the value of the network to the total vaccination programme. So it's it's a, would I say a staged approach, Richard. And for us at the minute, we've got got plenty of work, pharmacy first, medicine supply, as I was saying, but fully involved in the discussions around the vaccination programme. So we're certainly by no means forgotten, and certainly the First Minister and the Cabinet Secretary is keen to have the network involved. What we need to do is control that to maximise the value.
4: Yes, that that does make sense. So focus very much at the moment, well, as always, on medicine supply, keeping pharmacy well and, and pharmacy first as you say Harry we, we'll we talk about pharmacy first later on Um finally on Covid uh, the Scottish government has provided financial support for staffing costs during the crisis pharmacy yeah. workers are to receive a, a £500 one-off payment as a, a thank you for their Covid efforts there have been additional payments for dispensed items uh, in England by contrast contractors still haven't had their Covid costs covered and Negotiators are pushing hard for the 370 million cash advance to be written off, uh, but no joy yet. So there's a marked contrast in the situation north and south of the border. And why do you think contractors in Scotland seemingly
5: are in a much better position than their counterparts in England? It probably goes to, would I say, Richard, establishment of relationships, but I think in Scotland has been more stable. Then, uh, then, you know, As things have moved down south, we, we are certainly involved at, I've mentioned already, the mobilisation recovery group. So we're, we're in a very fortunate position that we speak directly every three weeks to the Cabinet Secretary for Health. If you've got an opportunity to propose solutions in that particular environment... You, you're speaking directly to government, who then the cabinet secretary instructs the civil servants to to get in touch. I'm interested in that, and we can discuss it.
4: Well, Harry, um, I know you've got a busy day today, uh, so we'd better wrap it up there. I, I really appreci- appreciate you joining us on the pod. Um, lots of exciting things going on north of the border in pharmacy. Um, thank you very much for updating us about them, Harry. Pleasure, Richard, and thanks for the opportunity.
0: So just some short extracts there of a longer conversation Richard had with Harry. Plenty more, including an update on Scotland's new pharmacy first service and a discussion about the future and the part that could or should be played by independent prescribing in community pharmacy north of the border. Uh, We'll be releasing the whole interview in a special In Conversation With episode of the podcast next week, I think. So look out for that. It's now time for bad week. So, Arthur, who's fared not so well this week for you? Uh,
3: Not who, but what this week for me. Uh, The Community Pharmacist Consultation Service is my nomination for bad week. Uh, The PSNC came out last week with concerns that GPs are referring patients to pharmacies for minor illness and um, urgent medicine supplies, not via the the CPCS to give it its official bunch of letters, um, but informally meaning that pharmacies can't claim their £14 consultation fee, and also that the data is not officially recorded by, by the NHS. So it's harder for the NHS to, to, to understand, you know, the, the, the scale of what pharmacies are doing every day. And the, the reason I say that the service itself rather than GPs is because I think, well, it's my, my observation that the service has been sort of dogged since the get-go by accusation of being like too convoluted, difficult to follow. And just not a natural way of, of ordering things. Um, I think, I mean, the PSNC sort of launched it to, to great fanfare. I think they had to because it was Simon Dukes' first big announcement since he joined as uh, chief exec. But really, it's been sort of, uh, I think, a slow dribble of consultations. I doubt whether pharmacies are making more than £100 a month from it. So because of this, um, the PSNC is launching an advice audit next week. Um, and pharmacies are all, are all encouraged to, to document their activity for one day. It's a way of uh, trying to get at the, the scale of the unpaid uh, services they're offering to the public. So um, anyone, any contractor, any pharmacy team is encouraged to, to look up the details on the PSNC website because you know capturing data like this is obviously very useful for, for the PSNC in um, conversations with, with the Treasury and talks around funding and so on. But yeah, I think the the CPCS it's never it's never run quite as smoothly as 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 would have hoped. So so that's my bad week.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a really worrying issue, isn't it? And um, for me, I mean, I sound like a crack record when I say this, but it, it's all about the importance of really detailed and and effective implementation, isn't it? If you don't build the service in from the beginning with all the parties that need to be uh, that are integral to its success. And you're going to have this kind of stop-start hiccupy kind of way of doing it. And um, if the numbers are really that low, then it, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that gets a very early question mark against it, doesn't it? Because it, it can potentially lead to a feedback loop in which it, is, it appears to be ineffective or, uh, or, or not necessarily um, capture it. You don't capture the data that you might need to capture to, to prove that it's, that, it's, that it's working. And the worst of all words will be is if it becomes a completely informal sort of service, and 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 then people don't get paid for doing it. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think uh, the NHS made a real error in sort of not um, uh, promoting it to the public when it launched. I remember going to a press conference and asking why why it wasn't being promoted to the public, and they were worried about pharmacies being you know deluged with uh, with patients. Whereas you know the obviously the opposite is happening. You know I'd be surprised if the average pharmacy is making more than one hundred pounds a month from the service. So. So, yeah, lots of problems.
0: And yet I think we we also saw pharmacies deluged with patients back in March. And, uh, you know, when was the last time we really saw a paid for service like that, which had way too many people accessing it? And uh, if the aim really is to to avoid either more expensive or more time consuming or inappropriate um, routes to care, then can't you have enough? You probably can't have too many people going through the right route, can you? That's a really interesting question. The bigger concern for me, I think, is we've got another service coming up uh, in just a, a month or so's time with the discharge medication service. And, and the same kind of thing could happen there if it's not implemented using all of the vital parties uh, getting on board with it at the beginning and doing it reasonably well from the get go. Uh, there's a very extensive um, toolkit about. Around implementation of the discharge medication service, and there's a quite a lot of parties that need to be involved in getting this one off the ground. Um, So, uh, you know, I suppose a positive thing is at the the hospital end, where the patients are being discharged from, you're more likely to have uh, a professional colleague in the in the hospital pharmacist uh, thinking through the way that the service should work, coming out uh, and into community pharmacies. But that also is a very complex remains uh, well, to be seen if it's an over complex set again the toolkit is is pretty large in terms of the numbers of pages to wade through uh, but that's got to be a danger for me is that going going forward you end up with a similar half-baked implementation
2: right Helena uh bad week for you so clearly the vaccination program is doing amazingly well so far and as you mentioned at the start Rob it's really getting into its stride. So I say this with some reluctance, but my bad week is the apparent postcode lottery of COVID vaccinations, and more specifically, the government's response to that. Um, So to start with, there's the small matter of people being offered vaccinations, but nowhere near their home address, um, and having to travel 10s of miles, if not more to get to their appointments. Um, And that's causing quite a lot of stress about the best thing to do. I think with a lot of people. Um, As more centres open up hopefully that will improve. Um, Then the announcement that the over 70s were able to receive their vaccinations from Monday was brilliant Um, but then it came to light that so many people in the first, first cohort haven't received their vaccines so in my family we've got nearly 90 year olds who haven't heard about an appointment at all, are patiently waiting, not wanting to make a fuss, but being really quite worried. Um, And then we've also got those in their late 70s who were contacted first thing on Monday morning and by mid-afternoon that same day, they'd received their first dose and a sticker to prove it. Um, I appreciate that it's difficult to know which route to go down, whether it's best to get as many people vaccinated as possible wherever they may live, Um, or to ensure that all vulnerable people in a single group across the country are vaccinated before moving on to the next. Um, It's probably the former, um, and I'm sure that there's method to it, and I'm sure that everyone will receive their vaccine eventually, maybe even within the targets, who knows. Um, My main frustration, though, is that the government is fending off accusations that there's a postcode lottery in the first place, and they're saying that Everywhere has had equal access to supply and things like that. But actually, it might not be a supply issue. It might be a local infrastructure issue in actually delivering the supply. And so the government would actually need to pull its finger out and offer more support where it's needed. Um, Basically, the postcode lottery is in plain sight. And I just wish the government would stop kidding themselves and do something about it. Um, even if that's just clear-cut reassurance or admitting that things aren't going as well in some areas just stop denying that it's happening
0: yeah good point i think your last point is the is the one i would make which is that i think just be realistic and the fact that there are there are new sites getting set up to deliver and the fact that some uh, some sites who've got early access to the pfizer vaccine before christmas may be slightly ahead but just be honest about it and just say that you know there is a program. I mean, I'm 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 sure we're all attached to various forms of communication around this, which shows that there's a there's a certain amount of ad hoc management of this being done, uh, even down to to local practices trying to trying to sort this, but trying to pretend that it isn't the problem, and actually being honest and upfront about how complex you know vaccinating a whole population is, and that um, you know they're, they'll try and keep the cohorts broadly following one after the other, but given the way that it works, I think is, is kind of denying reality. As you say, it just makes people annoyed, really. I mean, i had personal experience of that. My mum was offered a, a vaccination more than 20 miles away from where she lives, and yet one phone call later via, uh, you know, not what you know, but who you know, uh, she's actually having her vaccination this afternoon, I think, locally. So from twenty miles away last week to having it locally this week is is a big stretch for me, and I think just a bit of honest, basic honesty would be helpful. Right, Neil. um, I think you're last on this one. Bad week for you.
1: Yeah, continuing the vaccination theme, Rob. uh, My my bad week goes to um, North East Hampshire and Farnham Clinical Commissioning Group and Fleet Primary Care Network. Um, Now, just a bit of context behind this. Um, Michael Holden. Uh, the former National Pharmacy Association Chief Exec, and he's Associate Director of Pharmacy Complete. He is working with an independent pharmacist to deliver COVID vaccines in Hampshire. Terrific uh, initiative. Um, and that pharmacist is David Parker, the owner of Church Crookham Pharmacy in Fleet. And they uh, will vaccinate people from tomorrow, uh, from a hub, uh, Church Crookham Memorial Hall, if anybody, if anybody's interested. Um, so they, they've got that off the ground, and that's fantastic. Now, he told me um, that local health leaders and surgeries in the county, Hampshire, had told patients to go to GP practices and primary care network run sites outside of the area to get vaccinated. Now, he told me that, as, that at the moment he can deliver, they, the two of them can deliver as many as 3,000 vaccines a week, but are restricted to 1,200 because of su- supply limitations, but also due to what he described as some PCN and, sh- and surgery shenanigans. Now, I asked him to expand on that, and he said, he, he, said, he told us, that North East Hampshire and Farnham CCG and the local surgeries had told patients who belonged to surgeries in the area to go outside the vicinity. This despite the government obviously recently pledging to ensure that everybody in England will be within 10 miles of a vaccination site. He went on to say that the CCG at one point directed patients from all but one surgery to other PCN sites but had it, and this is quite important. He did insist that North, uh, Northeast Hampshire and Farnham CCG did change their message after concerns had been raised, and they are now uh, directing people to vac- vaccination sites within Hampshire. But nevertheless, uh, not great, not great messaging from from that CCG. Um, now Holden also told us that GP practices within Fleet PCN, there were four of them, uh, did not apply for a designated site due to what Holden said was a combination of unsuitable facilities, will, organisation and funding. And is now feeling the pressure from the local population and the local council. Um, this is what he said. He said, the issue with the CCG and the PCN and the surgeries is more about their communication to patients, which are suggesting that patients from surgeries in the PCN area, the hub serves, should go to other GP practice or PCN site run sites outside of the PCN area. So based on that, it doesn't seem to have been a great uh, a great time of late uh, for Northeast Hampshire and Farnham CCG and Fleet PCN, uh, particularly as we're I think the the overall aim of this vaccination rollout is to get people vaccinated as close to their home as as, as, as possible. Um, now he did go on to say that uh, Mr Parker, David Parker, the pharmacist who he's working with very very good uh, farm, very experienced pharmacist, he said that. Um, Mr. Parker had done his best to show willingness to collaborate, but that had not been reciprocated. And their decision to uh, bid to open the vaccination hub in the first place came about because the local PCN, uh, fleet PCN, didn't step up. Now, we contacted um, Northeast Hampshire and Farnham CCG, <clears throat> and they told us, well, the first response we got from them was, I think it sounds like it sounds like you're talking about fleet. To which we responded, "No, we're not. We're talking about you. We're talking about you, the CCG." And they did, and we put the same thing, same same claims to them, and they didn't respond. So They haven't responded to to, to Mr. Holden's claims. Um, we've also contacted uh, Fleet Primary Care Network, uh, and have yet to hear back from them as well. So it's just not it, it, the messaging's been really poor, based on what uh, Mike Holden has said. Uh, full credit to to, to, to him and, and David Parker for getting this. Uh, vaccination um, hub off the ground and getting the contract to do that but they have had from from what it sounds like they've had very little support and very little help from both the CCG and the PCN so my bad it goes to those two
0: yeah it's a good good example isn't it Neil of we're not all in this together really and that um, there are at a local level there are there are some difficulties in setting these things up I'm sure we'd be interested in hearing more of these experiences, good and bad, about how these things are getting off the ground, wouldn't we? But I think that's a cautionary tale, really. And also uh, uh, highlights, again, for me, the importance of uh, really pharmacy getting its head around this PCN relationship. And um, again, I suspect, you know, we know from our conversation with the NHS Confederation that there's about... Not all PCNs are up and functioning as they ought to be. And given that a lot of this vaccination stuff is being routed back through PCNs, those relationships are going to be increasingly important. Right. Um, Bad week for me. I'm just going to go slightly, again, slightly away from the vaccination thing. Just to say that um, I think if it's if this the allegations of the PDA that there are community pharmacy employers, who are cancelling study leave that they've previously offered to their provisionally registered pharmacists, that's going to be a great shame. I think this this particular cohort has faced an extraordinary year and massive, massive demands and in, in, in operating in a very, very different way from any cohort before, or I suspect that will come after them. And I think it's, um, while everybody's under pressure, and it's very, very difficult for everybody in managing the extra workload and, and the pressure that people are under, um, we just need to uh, take a pause and just think about how we get this particular group who've been so badly affected at the very end of their, the formation of their particular careers, you know, get through the final stage. And um, it's just a shame that if employers are, um, you know, not uh, withdrawing things that they previously agreed, making it harder for these, uh, for this particular cohort to pass the registration exam, that's a great shame. Neil, I think this was one of yours, wasn't it? So you've got something to say about this?
1: Yeah, I, I just, I, I feel it was almost inevitable this. I mean, I'm totally unsurprised that this has come about, that some employers are rightly or wrongly are, are going down this road. And, and I, it t- just goes back to uh, the, the previous week or so that we, this, this, well, more than, more you know, a few weeks and uh, months even that, you know, this has been uh, exploding on Twitter, this debate about proff and and this, this 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 registration assessment in March, which which I think a lot of people feel is an unwanted distraction at a time at this particular time. You know, people, pro should be focusing on, you know, what they've been doing throughout the pandemic, not not getting tied up in in worrying about an exam. Um, I'm not playing down the, the significance of the assessment; it's absolutely crucial. But at this moment in time, I just think it's the, the timing wrong. I think my own view. I think the GPHC have got this wrong. And it just goes back to the, the whole episode of the RPS and the English Pharmacy Board of Claire Anderson and, 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 and her view clearly, as I said before, is that it should be scrapped. Which she obviously went back on that with the official statement, which I, which I don't, I can't understand, and had, perhaps a lot of other people can't understand. But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that employers have taken this tack. This is this is always going to cause a great deal, a, a great rumpus, and it, and, it, and, and it continues to do so. This this assessment is, you know. Uh, pharmacy teams want, you know, Provreches to continue working for them on the front line and they're focused to be 100% on the pandemic, not on an exam. So I'm not not in the least bit surprised by this.
0: Neil, thanks. Expertly put, as always. And nice for you to get some of your greatest hits of the last few weeks in as well, I have to say. (laughs) So well done for that. Right, we've just got a little bit of time left for any other business. Anybody got something that they'd like to share that they've noticed this week that doesn't quite fit into the good or bad? category but it's just an interest who'd like to go first far away up uh
3: i did see now that we've fully brexited there are sort of um issues transporting goods across borders i think it's quite serious the uh the situation northern ireland the internal market border but um on the lighter side of things i did see in the telegraph today that a british man um was stopped carrying uh nando's peri peri sauce from gibraltar into spain And uh, he was stripped of of the the offending item. Sort of uh, an amusing uh, side effect of Brexit, if you
0: like. Indeed. Helena, Helena, did you have one? Um,
2: Well, I don't think we can um, uh, pass the opportunity to uh, mention the inauguration, which, as we're recording, is about two hours away. Um, So we uh, all heard trump's parting words with with his we will be back in some form um so that sounds ominous we'll see what happens there um but yeah i think it'll be an interesting one to see how events unfold um as the inauguration takes place this afternoon and um yeah what the the biden and harris um uh team will will achieve
0: and i think particularly interesting to see whether they can have an immediate impact on the number of cases and uh, and and deaths in the, in the us which yeah, i think absolutely. crossed another milestone didn't it yesterday was 400,000 i think they've got to now
2: yeah it's uh yeah just appalling numbers so hopefully um they've got plans in place to to really um really tackle that and get things a bit more under control
0: yeah let's hope so Right. Okay. It only remains for me, I I think, to say my thanks to Arthur, to Helena, and to Neil for their uh, contributions this week. Uh, Previous episodes of the podcast are available via the Pharmacy Magazine website and through all the usual podcast channels. Final shout out, I think, to look out for the uh, the material about the Recognition of Excellence Awards. I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk about that on this week's podcast so look out for that very very important and from me and from the team it's goodbye and thank you very much for listening